0: This is a Cato Special Podcast. I'm Caleb Brown. President Obama wants to extend key provisions of the Constitutionally Challenged Patriot Act. For his part, Wisconsin Senator Russ Feingold wants to roll back many provisions of the Patriot Act and expose telecoms to liability for helping the government illegally wiretap. Julian Sanchez, research associate at the Cato Institute, comments. There's a so-called lone wolf provision that... Uh, broadens the definition of an agent of a foreign power who's subject to FISA warrants. Um, There's a so-called business records provision that allows uh, the FBI to demand the production of of various kinds of records. And there's a so-called roving wiretap provision that allows warrants to be obtained that can rove over different communications venues that uh, an investigation's target might use if you're switching phones, for example. Obama's Justice Department has asked for all three to be renewed, um, arguing essentially that these are important uh, tools in the war on terror, although they know that they have never used the lone wolf provision. there are, There is a case for at least keeping the business records and roving wiretap provisions with serious modifications. Unfortunately, in the letter to the Senate, the Justice Department did say they were open to considering modifications. Russ Feingold wants to uh, roll back many of the provisions uh, of the Patriot Act. What would happen to these particular provisions? On Thursday, Russ Feingold and a group of Democratic co-sponsors introduced uh, the Justice Act. It's another ridiculous acronym law. Um, And among many other things, it would renew two of these provisions, the business records uh, provision and the roving wiretap provision. It doesn't touch the lone wolf provision at all. Um, And that one, I think... uh, can just frankly be allowed to expire. The lone wolf provision really is a response to uh, worries that Zacharias Moussaoui, the so-called 20th hijacker, um, somehow couldn't be investigated, that they couldn't get a hold of his laptop, uh, because they couldn't prove that he was an agent of any particular terrorist group. And the Judiciary Committee actually did an inquiry back in 2003, and what they determined pretty conclusively was that this wasn't a case of the FBI not having enough power. This was a case of the people in charge of the investigation utterly dropping the ball. I believe they uh, they used the exact phrase, failed miserably. The agents in charge did not understand the probable cause standard, did not understand um, essentially what the FISA law's definition of an agent of a foreign power was, uh, and so they didn't use the tools they already had at their disposal. And the problem here is that when you start talking about lone wolves, um, which is to say people who aren't actually connected in any uh, provable way uh, to any kind of known terrorist group, you essentially take the foreign intelligence component out of foreign intelligence surveillance, and now you're just talking about using the expanded powers and the lower uh, you know, evidentiary barriers that need to be met that are supposed to be justified by this context of foreign intelligence for people who may just be, uh, you know, as they say, lone wolves without the kind of connection to foreign terror that, that, that justifies these expanded powers. The other two um, are uh, pretty seriously overhauled by this. Um, the Section 215 business records provision Um, it's called the business record provision. It actually very broadly allows uh, the FBI to compel the production of any tangible thing, which is incredibly broad. Unfortunately, Feingold's bill does not alter that. But what it does do is tighten up the restrictions on when and why they can demand records. Uh, Unfortunately, under the the status quo, all they really need to do is show that they want these records because they are relevant to an ongoing investigation – and this would you know, put back in a much tighter individualized suspicion requirement. So it really has to be that you, you've got to show that the records that you want uh, really pertain to someone who you suspect of being a terrorist or having some kind of connection to terror, not just that they have something to do with the investigation. Uh, and it also tightens up the gag orders that go with uh, these requests— under the law as it stands now, automatically when they put these requests in, you're just barred from talking about it or telling anyone about it, which makes it very difficult to challenge these requests if you think that they're in error um, or you know, potentially illegal. And so it really it creates a process by which, uh, one, judges have sort of the option to impose that gag order for uh, you know limited times, and there's an ability of people who are served to go before a judge and, and, and try and... and uh, uh, you know, get some kind of relief if they think that there's a mistake. The roving wiretap provision um, is is left in also, and and really, the roving wiretap provision is not in itself a problem. Criminal investigators have the ability to get a roving wiretap if they think that the guy they're investigating is using disposable burner cell phones or swapping around uh, his email accounts to avoid surveillance. That's fine. The problem is that under FISA. Because of the nature of terrorist groups, the process for specifying the target of the investigation is much looser. Uh, you don't have to specify in the same level of detail exactly who it is you're going after. And that means when you add this ability for the warrant to rove over places and facilities, that suddenly you have this ability to get a warrant that says, uh, you know, my target is someone, perhaps imperfectly characterized. And the location I'm wiretapping is to be determined. And so suddenly you have something that looks a lot more like a general warrant. And so what the Feingold Bill would do is basically say, look, pick one, right? You can, um, you cannot be entirely sure exactly who the person you're going after is. Um, or you can not know exactly what line you need to tap or what email account you want to read, but it's gotta be one or the other. If you if you want to rove over locations and facilities, you have to have the identity of the person that you're going after. So that's that's the provisions that expire at the end of the year. Uh, the Feingold bill actually is this kind of massive sort of civil libertarians fantasy omnibus bill that does a lot more than that. It uh, tightens up national security letters, um, which we know from inspector general reports um, were systematically misused and abused by the FBI. Um, probably not intentionally, but nevertheless, without oversight, you get abuses. Um, It also seriously rolls back uh, a lot of the powers that were granted under last year's FISA Amendments Act, which essentially gave enormous power to the executive branch to authorize very broad sorts of surveillance. And so this makes sure that that can't be used to do bulk collection, where you just sweep in a whole bunch of stuff. It, it creates stricter requirements to prevent reverse targeting, where you sort of say you have a target overseas, but really your target is an American. And it also really, really narrows down the um, when these authorizations can be used to collect the communications of Americans. Um, So there really has to be a a pretty tight nexus to international terror and not this broader – you know, idea of foreign intelligence, which includes stuff like narco trafficking or you know intelligence that might affect our trade negotiations. I mean, it's, it's actually much broader than just terrorism, even though that's the way it's always discussed. It also, and this is the part that's going to get the most attention in the press, um, rolls back the telecom immunity that was granted, the retroactive immunity for telecoms that assisted the NSA in its illegal wiretapping program. Um, I guarantee that's going to be the you know paragraph one. Uh, item about this bill and every news story about it. It's also by far the least important part. You know, whether or not you can sue AT&T, while it's important in this context, is, to my mind, uh, significantly less important than whether the executive branch has broad, unaccountable uh, surveillance powers with no meaningful judicial oversight. Julian Sanchez is a research associate at the Cato Institute. You can read more on the Patriot Act and civil liberties at cato.org.